passage of scripture that's going to give us some lessons. And the lessons that we're going to look at today is a passage of scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it's lessons on how to be rich, on how to handle our money. And the, the passage is not going to teach us how to get rich. It's going to teach us how to be rich, how to handle the resources and the finances that we have. Jesus talked a lot about money. In fact, he talked, the only thing that he talked about more than money was the kingdom of God. That's the only thing. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and more than he talked about hell. In the 39 parables that Jesus taught, 11 of them had to do with money. In the gospel of Luke, in his account, one out of every seven verses in the gospel of Luke has to deal with money. Jesus talked a lot about money, which is why we're going to talk about money today. But Jesus never talked about how to make money. Never once did he talk about how to make money. If you want to know how to make money, there's lots of books, there's lots of seminars, there's lots of people out there, there's lots of classes that can teach you how to make money. Jesus always talked about how to handle money, or what do you do when you have money, or how do you keep from money having you, or what are the dangers of money. Now let me say this up front, in no way is God anti-money. Is God anti-wealth? Is he anti, you have a good job and you make a good salary? Nowhere in scripture does it tell us that that is wrong, that that is bad. In fact, many of the Old Testament characters that we read about in the Old Testament were very, very wealthy individuals. Abraham was very wealthy. The book of Job that we read about, he was very wealthy. Many of the characters in the Old Testament were kings. David was very wealthy. Solomon was very wealthy. Many of these people were very, very wealthy. So God is not anti-wealth. And some of the most godly people that I know and caring people that I know are people today that have done well financially, that God has blessed them. And they've, and they've made good amounts of money. They've been wise with their money. They're caring. There's an outpouring of generosity. So God is not against money. But the issue is never about having money. The issue that Jesus talked about was when money has us. And that is a huge temptation that we face in our culture. Because with money comes responsibility. And that's why we're going to talk about it today. And that's why I'm going to attempt to give you being rich lessons. And this is kind of being rich 101. So we're going to look at a passage in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you brought your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Or if you read scriptures on a tablet or a smartphone or a stone tablet or papyrus scroll, whatever it is that you use, turn it to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if you didn't bring any of those, We'll have the verses up on the screen um, behind me. Now, just a little bit of background. First Timothy is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was his younger protege. And in the book, there's lots of really practical advice about following Christ and living a, a life that honors God. And we're going to pick it up towards the very end of that book when Paul offers some very practical advice to people that find that they have more financial means than they actually need. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 today, and we're going to kind of dissect just those two verses. So let's follow along. We'll start in verse 17. This is what Paul is writing. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. Now let's pause there for a second and talk about and ask the question who he's talking about. Who is he talking about? Those who are rich 
in this world. Because if I were to ask most of you if you were rich, you would say, no, I, I'm not rich. I know some people who are rich, but, but I'm not rich. And if I were to ask the people that you say are rich, if they were rich, they would say, no, I'm not rich, but I do know some people who are rich. You see how that works? None of us, being rich is kind of a thing that we, we, no one ever wants to admit to, and we always push it on other people, and we think that there's somewhere along the line that we're not rich, but there are other people that are, that we know. So, let me give you some startling statistics, though. This is what I found recently. In in 2012, if you earned $34,000 per year, if that's what you earned, $34,000 per year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in all of the world if you earn $34,000 per year. In fact, the global median annual salary for all people in the world is $1,225. That's the average. That's, or that's the median in, in, in the world per year. So because we live in the United States, we look around and see people who have more money than us, and we think, well, they're the ones who are rich. We're, we're not rich. They're, they're rich. I'm not rich. I'm just average. I'm just middle class. I'm just, you know, trying to pay my bills and trying to do the right thing. But because we live in the United States of America we could argue that we are rich because of just the fact of where we live. Things like unemployment benefits, social security, food stamps, disability, Medicare, Medicaid, we think those are programs that are for the less fortunate. But you know, those kinds of things don't even exist in other parts of the world. So if you're poor in other parts of the world, you don't have government programs that help you and help pay for things and make sure that you have food. Those do not exist. So just the fact that you're a poor person in the United States makes you relatively rich in the fact that many of those things are covered. And let me be truthful and and, and tell you just some examples of some things that rich people do. These are things that I've seen rich people do, okay? Rich people have closets full of clothes. Okay, maybe you've seen this before. They have these closets and they put all their clothes in them. And they do this thing where they take a lot of the clothes out of their closet that are perfectly fine and they take them to a thrift shop and give them away so that they can make more room in their closets for the clothes that they're going to go buy and replace them with. That's just what rich people do. Now, female rich people have been known to stand in front of their racks and racks and racks of clothes in dozens and dozens and dozens of shoes, and they say these interesting five words as they stand there in horror and look. They say, I have nothing to wear, right? Which is a crazy phenomenon that only rich people could look at clothes that all fit them and say, I have nothing to wear. I, I don't get that, but, but rich people have been known to do that. Rich people stand in the line at the electronics store on the very day that a new gadget is released because they want to be the very first person to have one. Now, when they're standing in line, they're calling on their phone, their old gadget, and talking to all the people that they know about the new one that they're going to get that does the very same thing that the one that they're talking on does. That's just what rich people do. Rich people don't play sports. Rich people pay money to go watch other people play sports, okay? That's their form of exercise. And so they... um, 
they have these teams that they root for and they pay money to go watch it. Or if their team is playing somewhere else, they uh, gather people at their house or they go to these places that have it on television and they spend money eating and watching and cheering for their team. And they've also been known to get uh, different garments that have the name of their team on them that are a certain color and they cheer for their team. It's just what rich people do. Rich people have this thing where they go and buy caffeinated beverages at this place that they pay like four or five dollars a cup for, okay? What's interesting is most of the places where they work or go to school also serve caffeinated beverages for free, but these rich people think that these caffeinated beverages that they buy and having these little fancy cups with a lid on it and it has a little logo taste better than the free ones that they give to them at work. That's how they justify going and waiting in line. Now, I've seen this before. This is what rich people do. They do things like that. Now, you're thinking, those things don't really make a lot of sense, do they? Where that's where it becomes a little convicting if we really think about some of the things that we do, some of the behaviors that we have, and some of them to think if we could take an eight-year-old kid out of India that's been at a bus stop begging people to give him food and we explain to him our problems, he would just go, I don't know what you're talking about. That, that doesn't, that's so foreign to me. So I think when, P, when Paul talks about people who are rich, I think you and I are guilty of being that very thing. He goes on though to say, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud because pride is a rich person problem. Poor people have lots of problems, but usually pride is not one of their problems. Only one of the most prominent side effects of being rich is the, the temptation to be pride, or to be proud. Because pride causes a person to care about where they live, what they drive, what they wear, who they're seen with, what school they go to, what degree they've attained, what initials are after their name, what title that they have. Those are all things of pride. Those are all rich people problems. People that have nothing don't worry about those things. You don't worry about what you drive when you have nothing to drive. You don't worry about where you live when you're just glad that there's a roof over your head. But pride is a rich person problem and it's caused when money has us and we put our pride in it. So Paul tells Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Another side effect and temptation with money is the migration of hope. Is where does your hope come from? And the more money we have, the more tempted we are to put our hope in ourselves. Not in God, not in someone else, but in ourselves. Money has the temptation to cause you to do that. The more money you have, the easier it is for your hope to migrate from God, your Heavenly Father, and onto yourself. Because with money, you can do things like this you can buy health insurance, you can buy life insurance, you can buy homeowner's insurance, business insurance, you can buy a security system for your house, you can pay for your kids' education, you can even build a 401k for your retirement when you have more than you need. You can do those things. So the temptation is that our hope starts migrating from our Heavenly Father and on to us. We start feeling pretty adequate and self-sufficient about ourselves. And it's a gigantic temptation. Some of you know that I was in Mexico about a month ago, and I was at a Bible college um, helping them build a facility there and doing some preaching and teaching. And I met a young man by the name of Jerry. 
And um, Jerry was very outgoing, and he, he knew quite a bit of English, so we kind of developed a friendship. And what I found out about Jerry was that he had a dorm room that was very close to the Wi-Fi router which was a really big deal when I was in Mexico. Because where I was staying, we had no access to the internet. I couldn't check email. I, I couldn't do some other things that I planned on doing. But Jerry had this dorm room really close to the Wi-Fi router. And he said, Dan, well, he didn't say it like that. He would say, Senor Dan, you can come and use my room anytime you would like. And that's how, that's how he would say it. And so I would use his room. And uh, I, I just did some email. I got some work done there. And the last day before we left, on the 24-hour bus trip home, I plugged in my iPad and downloaded movies for the way home. And so I'm like, Jerry is my ticket to Wi-Fi right here. So me and Jerry, we're, we're buddies. But here's what I learned about Jerry that made me think and was a lesson for me. I took more to Mexico to stay for one week than Jerry owned. When I looked around in his dorm room and I saw all the things that he had, and I saw like the five or six hangers that he had in his closet, I saw the dilapidated, beat up, old computer that he was working on, and got to know him and see the things, it was very humbling to realize that I would go to Mexico for two weeks, or for a week, and take more with me than this man actually owns in his whole life, that all the possessions combined. It was a wake-up call to me of how easily my hope can migrate from my Heavenly Father and onto myself because I start putting my hope in my things and, you know, I can fix that and I can buy a new one of those and, and, and very, it's very easy for our hope to migrate. Let's go back to the passage again. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Because having money can give us a false sense of security. Now I want you to think for a second of how much money it would take for you to be financially independent. Okay, for you to say, you know, I am set for life. I need no more money. If I had X amount of money, I would be able to just do anything that I want for the rest of my life. I would never need another penny and I would just be wise with it and handle it and I would never need to ever make any more. Okay, do you have that figure in your head? I mean, I want everyone to get that figure. What is that figure in your head? How much do you need? You need a million, you need five million, you need 25 million, a half million, I, however much you need. You got that figure in your head? Okay, I know what that figure is in your head. And here's the answer. The figure is, the answer to the question of how much money you need is more than you have right now, right? More money than you have right now to make that happen. And, and some way in this whole way of making money, we see it that if I had this, then I would be able to attain this, this level of, uh, of independence. Then I wouldn't need any more. And yet Paul tells us right here, money is so unreliable, We've all seen things happen in our world and, and we know that, that the economy of the United States lives on this thin razor edge at all times. I mean, and people make decisions, companies make decisions, stockholders make decisions that affect us and make gas prices go up and, and make whole industries appear and, and disappear and go away. And we have no control of that. And Paul is saying, do not put your trust in your money. Tell all those rich people who have more than they need and think that some Somehow they're going to attain this independence, tell them it is very, very unreliable. So Paul instructs Timothy that there's a better solution. Look back at the passage. Their trust should be in God, 
You see, the chief competitor for your heart is money. The chief competitor for your heart is money. Jesus said wherever your heart is, there your treasure is also. Or I'm sorry, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because wealth can become a substitute for God. Now, which of the following statements that I'm going to put on the screen would cause you the most stress if it was true? Okay? Which of the following statements would cause you the most stress if it's true? Statement number one, there is no God. How much stress would that cause you in your life? Statement number two, you have no money. Now think for a second, which would cause you more stress? Now let me ramp it up a little bit because last week you just sat in a doctor's office and he told you you had terminal cancer. And so now all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, I've got these treatments, um, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. If you found yourself in that situation, which one of those statements would cause you more stress? If we're really honest with ourselves, it's really hard to think about being in that situation and not have any money, isn't it? It's very, very hard. For Americans, it's very hard to sit there and go, I, I don't know what I would do. I would stress out. How would I sleep at night? How are we going to pay the bills? How is this going to happen? I understand. I get all that. But what Paul's talking about here, he said, all those people who have more than they need, their trust should not be in their money. Their trust should be in their heavenly father. So where is my trust? And where is your trust? Then he goes on to say that the, the, tell us the reason that we should put our trust in God. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Money has this little way of taking our dependence away from God and putting them onto ourselves. So here's a question that I want you to grapple with. Why put your hope in the provision of riches when you could put your hope in the one who richly provides? Why put your hope in the provision of riches when you could put your hope in the one who richly provides? That's what Paul is talking about here. And that is the number one rule of being rich and honoring God with your money. I will put the hope of my provision in riches, or I will not put the hope of my provision in riches, but I will put my hope in the one who richly provides. That's the first big idea that I want you to see that comes out of this passage, because that makes all the difference in the world. It's the cardinal rule of honoring God with our wealth. Let's go to verse 18 now. Paul goes on to write, tell them to use their money to do good. Now he's not saying to, to be good, he's saying to do good things. It's a responsibility that we have. When we have more than we need, Paul's saying we have a responsibility to, good, to do good things with the extra that we have. Now in America, the assumption is that all the things that I get are for my consumption, right? Isn't that what we think? All the stuff that I get, the assumption is all the things that I get are for my consumption. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the case. If you have extra, if you have more than you need, you have a responsibility. That's what God teaches us. God says we have a responsibility. Tell them to use their money to do good, and they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Now, the American culture, in American culture, generosity, here's what it looks like. Here's what we do. For most of us, this is kind of a, just, I know I'm making a stereotype, but for, for most American culture, generosity happens spontaneously, it happens sporadically, 
and it happens sparingly. That's, that's just the way that we do things here in the United States. Spontaneously, if we hear like a moving story and someone sheds a tear or uh, a natural disaster happens, we get moved and so we send them some money. We give them some money. It happens sporadically because there's really not a plan a lot of times. It's just like whatever happens, whatever person asks me, however I feel, then that's how I'll give. And it happens sparingly. It's not really consistent. It's just, you know, I want to make sure I have enough for myself. So I'm, I'm going to hoard it all over here. And then if, if there is just a little bit left, I'll, I'll throw a little bit uh, towards someone or something. That, that really is the way Americans tend to give. But now let's look at how God would have us get. God's plan for generosity is really different because it has to do with three things that start with a P. It has to do with priority, percentage, and progressive. That's what Paul is teaching in these verses. The biggest rule, the second rule of being rich is that generosity honors God that is prioritized, predecided, and progressive. Let's talk about those three for just a second. Prioritize. God wants us to prioritize our giving to him. Now, let's imagine for a second that I invite you over to my house, and I invite you over for dinner, and I tell you, you know, you need to wear something nice. We're going to get uh, grandma's china out, you know, the dishes that we have at our house that we never use. We're going to break them out. We're going to put lots of forks and knives all around and a tablecloth, and we're going to make it all out. We're going to go candles, and we're going to give you the whole thing because you are our honored guests, and you're going to come over to our house for dinner. All right? And so you sit down, and you have dinner, and we sit at the table, and then I come out with the food. And this is the stuff that I pulled out of our refrigerator this morning, okay? So I'm like, okay, we, here we got um, one part of a quesadilla, okay? That's, um, you, you can have that if you want that, you know, uh, first come, first serve on the quesadilla. You can have that. Here's our selection. Uh, we have some leftover vegetable soup here that uh, I think my mother-in-law brought to our house. It's been in the refrigerator, I don't know, maybe a week Monday. Um, you, can have, you can have some of that. You just have to like uh, put it in your own bowl. You know, I'll just, we'll just pass it around. You can have that. And uh, Young Life was over at our house this week, and lo and behold, they uh, left some pizza. So, uh, you know, d- doesn't this look appetizing? You can have some of this if you want it too. So that's, that's what we're having. So just, uh, you know, dig in. Don't, don't be bashful. Um, if I did that, you would probably think, that's a little weird, okay, that the Hendrixes asked me over, and like, that's what we had for dinner. And I understand, that is a little weird, right? Now, let's just think for a second what it's like when we have extra, and how we give that, and how we are generous with God. Because many times, I think we give God leftovers, Our generosity is like, you know what? I'm only going to give if once I have all this hoarded up and then I have a little bit that I'm going to give to God. But Paul says generosity that honors God is a priority. It's not the last thing that you give. It's not the leftovers. It's giving God the first that you have. It's giving God the best that you have. It's honoring him and giving to him and saying, God, I'm trusting that you're the one who richly provides. And therefore, when I give this, I know I have no control over it, but I'm going to be generous and I trust that you are going to still provide for me. That's the first P. Second P is to predecide or on a percentage. 
Um, numbers don't really impress God. Uh, we think they do a lot of times, but numbers don't impress God. Because when we give money, we think, oh, I gave $100, or I gave $500, or somebody gave $1,000. And you know, we come up with these numbers, and numbers are just numbers. I think when God looks at us, he looks at a percentage, because numbers don't mean anything. $500 to one person is change to another person. What, what costs a lot of person, a lot, what, um, uh, it's a big sacrifice to one person, is a small sacrifice to another. Numbers don't mean anything. God would look at a percentage and say, are, are you prioritizing what you're giving away? Are you prioritizing your generosity? And then what is the percentage? Now, a couple weeks ago, Matt talked about tithing, which, which is a biblical principle of 10%, and we're not going to dive into that. It's a great message, and if you want to hear it, it's on our website, and uh, you can go look it up. But today, I'm not going to land on a percentage. But the fact is, very few Americans give a percentage that's pre-decided. They just kind of give randomly. They don't say at the beginning of the year, this is what I'm going to give. I'm going to decide to give X percentage of my income away. On the front end, that's what I'm going to decide, and I'm going to work backwards. We typically don't do it that way. But God says, that is the way to give that honors me. Now, let me say this. If you think that you don't have enough money to be generous or do it like this, or, or to be generous and prioritize and predecide, let me just say this. You are fooling yourself if you don't think that you have enough money to start doing this. Here is what I've learned and what a lot of other people that are wiser than me have told me and taught me, and it's been my own experience. It will not become easier for you to be generous when you make more money. In fact, it will become harder. It will. When you make more money, it will be harder to be generous than it will when you make less, especially, especially if you're going to be a percentage giver. Because those numbers start getting big. Later in your life, when you start making more money, those percentages, and you start looking at the numbers, you're like, dang, that's a lot of money. We're giving away a lot of money here. God says, I'm not concerned about the number. I'm concerned about the percentage. So pre-decide on the percentage and pre-decide on the plan. The next one is progressive. Now, here's the thing. If you do number one, you do number two. Number three will usually take care of itself. Progressive means that you will look at your life and go, as God is blessing me, I am going to bless others. As God is increasing what he has given to me, I will grow in my faith and I will say, well, I used to give 3%, but then I gave 4%, and then I gave 5%, and then I tithe, and you know what? I gave more after I tithe. And God loves when we progressively trust him and give to him. As God blesses you, it's our role to bless others. And remember what we talked about earlier. It's that whole attitude of, I will not put my hope in the provision of riches, but I will put my hope in the one who richly provides. And here's why this is important. Because generosity loosens our grip on greed, and it loosens greed's grip on us. And it changes your heart when you're generous. That's what it does. So Paul wraps up verse 18, and this is what he says. Tell those, or tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always be ready to share with others. So this is the best way that I can illustrate what Paul is teaching. I've got 10 $1 bills here. This is the principle that he's teaching. He's saying that when you get these, okay, when you get these, Here's what he's instructing us to do. You take one of them, and you say, God, there you go. That's yours. Now, if you're, if you're smart, and this is just free advice, you take another one, 
and you save it, okay? You just put it away somewhere, do something with it, uh, put it away. And then this right here, you, you live off of it, okay? You, you just live off of it. Now, what happens in some ways is when these ones become fives, and tens, and twenties, and hundreds, or thousands, and some of you are there, others of you may be there in your life, this is what some people do. Instead of saying, here's one for God, and here's one to save, and here's 80, there are people that say, well, let's, let me see, here, I'm going to put two there, give to God, and I'm going to take two there, and, and I'm going to live off of this, which is totally countercultural to America, right? That's not how you do it. And there are people that have said, well, I'll put three there, and I'll put three there, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll just live off of this. In fact, many of us in this room are, have been the recipients of the blessings of people who have lived that way. A lot of us went to church and we uh, went into these buildings that were paid for by people that lived that way. Some of us have been involved in campus ministries or ministries that were funded by people that lived that way. People that didn't give sporadically, didn't give sparingly, didn't give spontaneously, but they gave out of priority, they gave a percentage, and they gave progressive. And we have been the beneficiaries of that. A lot of us, I have included, have been blessed by people who have lived that way. Now, as we close, here's what I want for you. You may be thinking, well, Dan, you're talking about money, and preachers always talk about money, and, and I know what you're doing. All you're wanting is you're wanting more money for Exodus. You know, it takes money to do what we do here. And if we had more money, we would be able to do more. But that's really not my motivation to talking about this today. Here's what I know, and because I'm one of your pastors, here's what I want for you. I want God to have your heart, okay? I want God to have your heart. And if God has your heart, all this money stuff will just be easy. It will all be easy if God fully has your heart. And I know that, and I've seen that in my own life. And when God has your heart, giving, being generous out of priority, and percentage, and progressive, that's really not that complicated of stuff if God truly has your heart. And my hope and my prayer for you is that God has your heart. And I've never met a person that has regretted by living that way. I've never met a person that's ever regretted being generous. You'll never miss the money that you give away. Now, you will miss the money that you waste. You'll miss the money that you spend. You'll miss the money that you invest poorly. You'll miss the money that you let your brother-in-law borrow. Okay? You will miss that money. You will not miss the money when you are generous and you give towards God. Because being rich towards God means generously releasing a percentage of my income towards the things that God loves. And when you do that, it's a game changer. Now, just for a second, I want you to imagine this. Imagine if all of the people in Bloomington who go to church and call themselves followers of Christ actually did this. What would happen? How would things be different? There would be such an outpouring of resources just in our community that we probably wouldn't even know what to do with them if all of the Christians followed and basically did what Paul is talking about doing. Because generosity is an undeniable demonstration of Christ's love. You know, if Christians lived this way, here's what would happen. We would not be known for what we are against. We would not be known for what we believe. We would be known for our love. 
we would be known for our generosity. And if I'm correct, if you go back and look at what Jesus said, if you go back and read the book of Acts and see what the early Christians did and and how they, they had this revolution, one of the big components of what they did was their generosity and their love. It was undeniable. Because you can argue with a person and you don't believe everything that person believes. And you can argue that, that well, I don't like that they're against this. You can argue all those things. But when someone is just lovingly generous to you, there's really not much to say about that. It's powerful. It happened in the first century. And that is one of the big reasons why Christianity got the foothold in the world that it did was because of the generosity of the first century Christians. They were just generous people. So here's my challenge for you. I want to challenge you to do the two things that we talked about today, the big ideas. We're going to put those on the screen. And I want to challenge you right now, if you would, and I'm, it, it's up to you, to repeat that commitment with me. Okay? If you want to do that, let's read it together. I will not put the hope of my provision in riches, but I will put my hope in the one who richly provides. And here's the second one. I will show generosity that honors God and is prioritized, predecided, and progressive. When God has your heart and you have more than you need, and you trust in the one who richly provides, and you come up with a plan to give it away, there's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens, and that's what I want for you as your pastor. Let me pray for you. Hey, God, uh, I know the topic that we have talked about this morning is a little heavy, and when we start talking about money, we start talking about uh, pockets, books, and wallets, it's just a little tough for us. But God, I thank you for the verses that you put in uh, there and that Paul talked to Timothy. And Father, may all of us in here be challenged to realistically look at our situation and to ask you, God, where is my responsibility for um, being generous? And Father, wherever we're at on the scale, however much money we have at our uh, fingertips, help us to also look at the fact that we very well may be the rich people that the Apostle Paul was talking about. And because of that, we have a responsibility. And Father, may, um, may you forgive us for the times where our hope has migrated from you to ourselves, where we have put our trust in the things that we have and the things that we can buy and somehow in our wealth and our ability to put it all together. Father, forgive us for the times where we have done that and probably will do that in the future. And may we truly trust in the one who richly provides. And Father, help us to... uh, really think about how we give you first. Forgive us for the leftovers that we throw at the things that are important to you. Forgive us for the times when we just, um, you know, take some change and just say, oh, there you go. That, that ought to be sufficient. Help us to really think of what our, what we are truly responsible for. And Father, be willing to have that conversation with you and be willing to really listen to what you tell us and what you say to us and what you whisper to us. And then to be, uh, have the courage to follow through and do it. Father, thank you for the people that have done that for uh, generations before us. Thank you for those of us who have been the benefactors, those of us who have 
had um, been able to receive blessings because of people who have done that for decades. And we are grateful and we'll probably never understand their sacrifice and their commitment. But thank you today for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the love. Thank you for being the one who first gave to us by sending your son. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're gonna